I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx, and you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Muses with Shanti and Lynx. We are the podcast that recognizes those women on the side of the stage, backstage, and take them to the center of the stage. We give them the spotlight. We want to hear their stories. Before we get into the interview today, we want to thank our newest patrons, Marissa and Elizabeth, and also Shari for her continued support as well. It means so much to us that you guys have decided to invest in us a little bit. Thank you so much. If you would like some bonus content, you can go over to patreon.com slash muses podcast, where you will hear movie reviews. Lynx and I are going to be interviewing each other. So this is a great opportunity to get to know us better. And we really appreciate your support. We are so grateful for you. Whether you are a patron or you are a listener every week on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, we're so grateful for you. So thank you so much. Today's interview is with Rita Ray Rocks. If that name sounds familiar, it's because we did an episode about Rita in episode 64. So we read her book, Once Upon a Rockstar, Backstage Passes in the Heavy Metal 80s, Big Hair, Bad Boys, and One Bad Girl. And it was just as much fun as that title suggests. 
So ever since then, we have been uh, friends with Rita on Instagram and online, and we've been you know, liking each other's photos and leaving comments and sending messages, and it was a pretty fast friendship. So this is really exciting that we got to speak with Rita and ask her questions about things in the book and about what's next for her, <clears throat> another book, and what she's been up to lately. And uh, we can tell you that she's still going to shows and supporting her local community. A friend wrote in Rita's 1982 high school yearbook, I hope that someday you will meet your true David Lee Roth and become a rock and roll queen. Well, she did just that. Her extensive scrapbooks of backstage passes and personal photos document a lifestyle that rock fans only dream about. After leaving Omaha and moving to LA, Rita continued her pursuit of heavy metal bands throughout the 1980s. She eventually traded rock stars for movie stars and did a stint in stand-up comedy. We can't wait for the next book. After leaving L.A. with more memories than any single person could ever experience, Rita returned to her hometown and is a hardworking mom who is active in her church. She tells us an incredible story about uh, getting her boys excited about leaving school and meeting somebody very special. And like I said, she still goes to shows and supports bands in her community. We had an incredible time speaking with Rita. We can't wait to get together with her in person. Rita Ray sure does rock. Enjoy the episode. Cool. So how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you girls? Uh, we're doing great. Did we see on Instagram that you went to a show last night? Yes, you did. I actually went to Hairball for the first time. Um, I've never been able to make it because every year um, when they come to Omaha, Nebraska, it, it happens to fall on the weekend of Berkshire Hathaway, which is really a huge event for Omaha, Nebraska. And I'm always caught up with that. So I've never made it to Hairball, but... Last October, I met um, Bobby Jensen, who's the lead singer of Hairball. He plays um, Paul Stanley and Alice Cooper and, I believe, Bon Jovi in the show um, backstage at Alice Cooper. So we became fast friends, and so they rolled into town, and I was uh, fortunate enough to get there in time to catch the show. That's amazing. That's a great name, too, Hairball. Love it. Have you ever seen the show? No. Never heard of it, well, actually. I've got to look this up. Okay, where Hairball is, basically it's a tribute band um, of the 80s. And so they have three different singers. One singer plays uh, Steve Perry, Joe Elliott, and Freddie Mercury. And then one singer plays, you know, Paul Stanley, Alice Cooper, Bon Jovi. One singer plays Vince Neil, um, Brett Michaels, Ozzy Osbourne. Um, and they, so they do these, it's basically about three songs per band you know, per act. Mm -hmm. So the house band is the same house band, of course. So they just keep the singer character thing rolling. And, but it, it was just insane to see the love of the crowd for this tribute band. And I was amazed to see how many people were there because I didn't think it was going to be as big of a event as, um, what do you call it? Um, you know, that you know with people wise yeah people showing up so but there were so many people there it was so crowded and everybody was dressed up in 80s gear and everybody i never seen so many wigs so everybody was really dressed up in character for 80s character and i didn't know it was that big and i i, I know a lot of people that went every year and i've just never made it but it was so much fun and then 
um, some lady security was giving us a really hard time. So we got all access passes. And so that just made it great. It was like the old days. Uh, and have it be general admission just added to it because it was kind of like how concerts used to be, you know, when I first started going to shows. And it was like literally kind of like a postcard from every concert that I've ever been to in my youth, it, all in one night. Wow. That must have felt you with made you feel and filled you with emotions of nostalgia and also, you know, appreciation for the shows that you did get to go to in see in person. Exactly. It was, it was, it was, you know, they did a really good job. And I just, I just kind of mocked it before because I wasn't really sure what to expect, but they do a really great job. And, you know, it's kind of like a live rock of ages show, but only just a concert, you know, with the way that they play their characters. And they do such an amazing job. And they're really, you know, singing as well. So, you know, they're all talented musicians that take this show on the road. And it was interesting to listen, first of all, to see um, groupies for this show because I had a really hard time. We showed up late, so we had a hard time getting to the front row of the show, but we did make it up there towards the end. Um, There was a lot of big people, and everybody was just partying and drinking, like, I just hadn't seen a concert where, you know, so many people were drinking beer and just having such a great time in a really long time because nowadays, you know, with all the reserved seating and all the rules, it's, you know, people get upset if you stand up and totally. you dance and they don't want you dancing in the aisles. It's like, you know, they put all these stipulations on having fun nowadays of how you're supposed to enjoy your concert, you know, compared to letting loose and just, you know enjoying the music and just, you know, going with the groove. That's so true. That's a really, really good way to put it is the stipulations on how to have fun at a concert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're totally so. right. We've we've mentioned um, tribute shows and how tribute shows have their own kind of fandom and groupies as well. Yeah. So it's interesting that you mentioned that, that for sure they're there. It's interesting because I feel like I've worked a lot of these shows and like, yeah, I'm always amazed um, when the tribute bands come in They'll they'll have lineups for people like waiting for their autographs and things like that. And maybe it's like, obviously, these people are like great musicians. And I guess maybe they're more accessible than, you know, the rock stars that they're impersonating now. So exactly. Yeah, it's a way to get close to the music in a different way. Right. Well, to me, like I like I said, it was um, I was just blown away by how many followers they had. And when I was actually talking to the uh, two of the lead singers after the show, you know, we taped a little bit of it. Um, they were just talking about how they have the same faces um, for multiple, multiple shows. And we all know because I follow you girls on Instagram as well that I see that you do traveling that you know that that can be very expensive. And to know that people, you know. Like when you have a great love for one particular band and you follow them, you know, four or five shows, it adds up. And I know people that um, will go for a whole week. And I've I've met girls and interviewed girls across the country, you know, that, um, you know, that just do this all the time. And then there's girls I've even met that travel across the world, you know, which would be just a great luxury to be able to do, you know, to just go to any concert that you want. But yeah, it's great to see that people follow them so much. Yeah, you have to check them out on um, check them out because you're definitely going to enjoy them. I will. I have um, a friend. I went to England last year and we went and saw Pearl Jam. And I met uh, my friend, a friend of mine's her mother's good friend. Her name's Linda. She's amazing. She's like seventy years old, sixty years old, 
goes to like every Pearl Jam concert she can. She travels like all over the world to see them. She was in England for them. She was like in Spain or Barcelona and she came to Toronto for a sh- like she she is like one of those groupies that just goes around and you know follows the band and just I just love that she's still doing that, you know. And she takes oh, her son God. too. It's like it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I just started traveling again because, you know, for when my book came out, it made it really hard for me because my my son was so young at the time to really kind of do a lot of promotional work that I really wanted. And plus, because I was self-published, you know, also just for financing exposure. But I I mean, I've got like a lot of exposure and did a lot of multiple interviews, but it's it's hard to get out there. and And it's just like now I'm just like. Wow, I just wish that I had the opportunity and the freedoms of, you know, just not to be able to promote my book more. Now that I'm out there, I'm just, it's so much fun to get back out there and go to all these shows. And not only that, but just to meet other women that travel by themselves with nobody else and, you know, with whatever money they have extra, that's what they enjoy doing. And I love meeting these other girls. And every time I meet one, it's like an instant friend. Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely feel that too. when we meet women at shows and through the podcast, you know, talking to women on Instagram and things like that. Like, yeah, we we all have that connection and that passion for the music and traveling. And yeah, it's it's an amazing group of people. That's right. Yeah. Rita, I'm so glad that you brought your book up because we were going to bring it up as well, of course, and then, you know, get into your roots and everything. But I have to say that when I presented your book, when I read your book, Once Upon a Rockstar, Backstage Passes in the Heavy Metal 80s, Big Hair, Bad Boys, and One Bad Girl, I had one of the most fun times I've had throughout this whole process, reading your book and presenting it. You are amazing. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I loved your book. And then Lynx and I actually went back and it's not we don't re-listen to our episodes too often, but it's pretty special when you when we're at this point where we were presenting the books and now we get to speak to the women themselves who wrote it. And then we go back and listen to it because I don't listen. I don't re-listen to our episodes that much or that often, but you could tell how much fun we were having, too. Yeah, Um, for sure. And it really brought me back to reading your book and how much we truly enjoyed it. So thanks for writing that great book. Oh, well, I appreciate it. And the funny thing is, is, um, you know, I just had all my stuff, you know, because for um, a long time, I like to describe it as I went to a party in Los Angeles in 1987, and I didn't come home for 2002. So there's like this whole other chapter in my life that I'm in the series of writing now. But, you know, there was a time that I just kind of like, um, you know, in dating certain people, and we'll talk about that, you know, later in some of my writings that will come out. Um, about I just didn't get out and you know and that's just such a big part of my personality so I wasn't even that person and it was like I was being held prisoner sometimes because I wasn't able to get out and just enjoy myself and get like my rock on Mm. you know and there's nothing like you know the experience of a concert from the point of me planning an outfit and even to this day like I'm constantly pre-planning going to Goodwill's, shopping clearance racks, looking for, you know, the most rocking thing that I can put together that's going to draw, you know, like my Lady Gaga moment before a Lady Gaga, you know, just to get that attention because back then, you know, it was so competitive, okay? So you had to have your game on with your style, okay? And when in the book, we talked about, um, 
you know, some of my influences were, you know, watching MTV, but that was just to really get the courage up to wear an outfit like that out from not being in a rock video, but just to be able to walk down the street and, you know, get in your car and go to a show and, you know, in that outfit. And then later, possibly if you were lucky, do the walk of shame in that outfit in the morning. <laughs> do you still have that green outfit that always got you laid? Believe it or not, I still have that. It's yes. one of the surviving pieces. I uh, made a joke about recreating some of those photos just because um, my senior picture was shot in that outfit, okay, as well. <laughs> so, um, but I would have to redo the lacings on the side and figure something out. But I'm pretty sure it would still fit. I would just don't know if I quite wanted to do a photo shot in it yet. I think I could pull it off, but I don't know. And I also have, still have a, one of the pink outfits that I wore to a Bon Jovi and rap concert that was made out of pink um, pigskin, suede, and it was kind of like an Apollonia Prince kind of type looking dress. Um, I still have that. I have um, quite a bit, actually. I did lose pretty much a lot of my whole leather jacket collection and my leather pants. I had a lot of stuff all in just cardboard boxes and um, I got flooded at my old house when my son was really little and um, had to throw everything out. It was heartbreaking. But, however, I had a few pieces that were upstairs that um, that survived. But, yeah, I'm always still putting things together. So I love that you remember the specific looks that you wore to specific concerts. And you also used to make your own clothes, right? Um, yes, a lot of those things I made myself, but a lot of things I modified too. Like I used to rip out um, the fly of jeans and then sew in different leather and make them lace up or, you know, do, you know, add things on to them. I was constantly studying and applying, um, you know, like pieces of snakeskin or fish skin or onto either jean jackets. And um, I did do one jacket for Brett Michaels um, back when I first moved to Los Angeles. It was like in 1988. I believe that he got it, and he wore it in um, pretty much every photo shoot that he did, and it made it into a picture of Rolling Stone. And I remember one time going to the country market right there on Kirkwood and Lower Canyon Boulevard when I lived in Lower Canyon and seeing it in every Mac um, rock magazine at that time that was on the shelf, which made me feel really good because I didn't get paid for it. I just um, made it for publicity for him. And, um, and that you know, knowing that you had done that, didn't Bon Jovi tell you that you should be making clothes? Yes, he did. And I never really, um, I suffered from really low self-esteem because I didn't believe that anything that I really made was that great. And sometimes I would, but I always, uh, kind of felt like not real proud of everything that I made. You know, I'd always felt like it was never good enough. You know, but um, if there's something I would go back on would probably be taking that offer up and probably talking my way into a job with Bon Jovi. Right. And probably sleeping with Bon Jovi at that time when I passed <laughs> him up because I was going to sleep with Juan from Rat the next day. But after later on having a relationship with him, I totally wish I would have banged Bon Jovi. And, you know, high respects to the guy that's still with his high school sweetheart. And through all their struggles of, you know, what it takes to be in a relationship, he's still with his old lady. You know, I mean, yeah, that's pretty that's a great man. That's, that's a great hard. man. So yeah. I'm kind of curious, like about your roots. Like, did you grow up in a musical family? Like, where did your love of rock and roll begin? 
Um, well, literally, my mother's from Japan, and she was an immigrant, so she listened to Asian music, uh, and she also loved the Beatles, Tom Jones, and Elvis. And then my father um, loved country, and so I grew up with that in the house. So I think it was just the fact that we were kind of all raised on TV for family entertainment that we watched, like, The Osmond Show and Sonny and Cher and Hee Haw and um, you know, all these musical shows, the Osmonds and the DeFranco family. And I just loved all that. And then laughing and then, you know, as well as Saturday Night Live when I was 10 years old, when it came out, watching musical acts on there. Um, you know, I was kind of just like a closet performer. I never really ever, I'm a terrible singer, horrible singer. So, you know, when I was spinning records, I used to jump around and sing, but just, not really out loud or in front of other people. And still to this day, when I go to concerts and I try to sing along, I try not to sing too loud because I hate that person that's screaming it out of tune, you know, to every word. that when My brother like, is that bucks. person. <laughs> you know, like at Elton John, $300 per ticket, you know, and somebody's screaming like everything out of tune in your ear and you're just like, oh my God. It's like killing me, you know? It's like, and you can't, because everyone's having a good time, but it, it's like, my God, have you heard yourself? You know, sometimes you just turn around and give them that look and a nice smile, like, my God, you know, but it's hard, you know, it's hard. So when did you decide to start seeing live music? Um, probably, gosh, I was 1979, I think was my first show, um, with Aerosmith. Nice. And that was the first concert I ever went to. That's a good yep, opening. 1979. Concert. And I paid $8.50 for that ticket. And that's not when um, John, what do you call it? Steven, not Steven Tyler, but Joe Perry, I don't think was in the band at the time. I think it was Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, somebody else, Crispo or something like that was in the band. Hmm. But I mean, I've seen, you know, pretty much everybody from ABBA to the Cars. I mean, I've really had been fortunate to catch a lot of these really great bands, you know in the early time of my teenage years. So I, I can't even think of somebody that I really even missed. You know, you could throw anybody out there and I'm pretty sure I saw. That's incredible to say that, to be able to say that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot that I missed because, you know, outside the tractor pole, there wasn't like a whole lot going on in Nebraska. And at the time, Omaha wasn't really a big, big city. So we were big enough that we had the Omaha Civic Auditorium, which in my book, I talk about my high school was right across the street from yeah. the arena. So I could look out the window and see what was going on. I it loved just, that. You know, too convenient. Yeah, it's very sad because they've just torn it all down. And I went to the um, auction and took a bunch of photos and everything of last memories of all the concerts and all those um, dressing rooms of all the bands, uh, even the music hall and everything. So I got some photo footage of that. And then they flattened it, and then they were going to have some developer come in. And now it's kind of like the curse of it because it's just sitting in a grass patch, a big grass patch right now. But it was really sad to see that go because it just had so much history. It's pretty wild that you could see the place from your high school and one of the things that was I think one of the most fun parts of the book was all of your inventive ways to get backstage um what was 
some of the most fun or inventive kind of like tricks and things that you used to get backstage and what were some of the most effective ways? Um, well, you know, in the very beginning I was young and so we used to like, you know, we would get there early and we'd get our spot and then like we would kind of cruise around the mixer boards and, you know, like it didn't take, um, long for I would say like guys to kind of reach out and you know being teenagers you kind of like either you know we were kind of sometimes you'd go hang out and sometimes you would talk to guys and sometimes you wouldn't some guys were really creepy and some guys were cool so you know when we were kids you know like I said when we first started going we were 1979 I was 14 years old so, um, but one of the best stories that I'm going to tell you is we went to go see Julian Lennon, who I absolutely love. And, um, the closest place he was coming to was Kansas city. So we actually didn't have tickets. So we were stalking them from afar, from a distance around the starlight theater. So after, um, they were doing their sound check, they pulled out, we watched them, watched them. You know, they did their sound check. They did a couple songs. We watched them play Frisbee. We watched them get on their bus. Then we ran to our car, and we followed them for about two miles until we pulled up to them from a distance. And then we pulled up right next to them at a light. So, of course, they're all looking out the window. They opened up the window, re-rolled down the window, and then they're waving at us, and we waving back at them. And so we made it out to be like we were down there to go to the amusement park at Worlds of Fun, but we were really down there to see them. So then we followed them back to their hotel just so that they could get our names and numbers so that uh, we could go to the show that night. And that was really a lot of fun because I don't think my girlfriend really knew like how we were going to get there. Because, and I'm like, we're, this is going to be an easy one, right? <laughs> because we just wanted to act like, you know, but by then I had a lot of experience. Okay. And then, then another time, we went to the Iowa Jam, and then the same night, Van Halen was playing in Des Moines, Iowa, but Iowa Jam was on uh, the Iowa State Fair, and it was um, Aerosmith, and then the other, and, and then it was, we chose Aerosmith over Van Halen, but it was funny because we were staying at the hotel, and I believe it was a Marriott at the time, and so we were walking in, and we had just checked in, and we were walking around, and we were on, like, the upper level that overlooked down onto the courtyard of the check-in area. And all of a sudden, Eddie Van Halen and Sammy Hagar, and it was uh, Ted Nugent, like, walked in, I believe. And so my girlfriend started freaking out, and I'm like, oh, my God, shut up. I said, just watch this. So <laughs> I walked cool. over, and I just pushed the elevator button, and then they were on the, getting on the elevator right below us right so of course the elevator stopped right on our floor and then we got on the on the elevator with them and by the time they made it to the floor we were already on the guest list but we didn't go to um van halen that night because we already explained we were going to aerosmith but we were on uh they were playing omaha the day after perfect yeah so we were already set up for the the day after you know in omaha do you remember Like when you first learned about groupie culture or backstage culture, like, did you know about that aspect before you started going to shows or is that something you kind of discovered while going to shows? And how do you feel about the term groupie? I kind of don't really like to classify myself as a groupie. I mean, like now it's like become just a, like an acceptable 
term. But before, a kind of thing that people kind of gave it a bad name. And I know that even people, like, want to talk about, like, me. And I've had a lot of people say a lot of bad things about me. I've had a lot of constant security. Um, you know, in my early part of my book I talk about, there were some constant security guys that were really cool that were really nice to me when I was younger. But then there was a lot of guys that were interested in me that when I wasn't interested back in them, they kind of had an ego thing and then, you know, didn't like the fact that I was trying to talk to the band and that they were, you know, thought that maybe I didn't think that they were good enough for me. And I had a lot of uh, roadblocks, roadblocks, as I would say. And one in particular was even my girlfriend, brother, who like really just hated me. And then there was like a Playboy club that was in town as well. So, and I wasn't old enough to be a Playboy bunny because I was only 18 at the time. And I think the drinking age was like 19 and 20. So I wasn't able to audition. And that was kind of heart crushing for me because I wanted to be one of the last bunnies, right? Like of the milestone of the bunny era, right? Because really shortly after that is when all the clubs started closing up, mm-hmm. right? But so that guy was, you know, in with the bunnies. And so he tried to bring the bunnies into like the backstage of the kind of like overtake my my stompy grounds you know like by bringing his own girls in for the band and I was kind of like my own thing but a lot of times girls I operate best by myself right and I'm not gonna lie you know I love my girlfriends but sometimes they can be real jerks you know and sometimes I could have stuff all set up and all planned out and you know somebody would be like hogging the conversation or just like you know, my girlfriend would be half naked on a guy, you know, before, you know, in the dressing room, you know, mm-hmm. not going to go there. But, you know, you know, it, it could be, you know, it's competitive, you know, but even with friends. Yeah. So it's wild you know. that in your book, yeah, you had mentioned that all of a sudden um, the competition was Playboy bunnies. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. I 
and then yeah. but you had something special and you had you had something special beyond the sort of tall blonde leggy thing and what was it about you would you say that made you stand out um i'm gonna probably say maybe because um my ethnic look um you know i'm half japanese and half czechoslovakian so i've been guessed pretty much at everything from being hawaiian to native american to italian to persian to you know pretty much everything so i i can play a lot of different looks in that way but mainly i think a lot of people thought i was native american to hispanic and they don't even think that i'm asian so um Maybe that, and also because I've always been pretty much athletic, you know, and uh, kind of taken pride in, you know, trying to work out and, you know, try to keep my game on my figure. So, yeah. which just recently I've been working on because when I, I'm turned 53, so when I turned 50, I had, it took a lady at the grocery store to ask me when I was expecting and like my two um, kids to look at her like, oh my gosh, I think mom's gonna kill this lady, <laughs> right? But it put me in check to the point where maybe I had to be my product of my book again, right? In order to sell my book and you know get my character out there and my story told. So that was part of you know getting it together. Yeah, it's interesting that you pointed that out. You definitely would have stood out if you're standing next to like five blonde girls who all look like they just came out of Playboy and then here you are with your amazing hair and your beautiful skin and yeah, I can see Toned why. Toned lith buddy. Exactly. I can see why <laughs> you were like, whoa, who's this one? Right. And still to this day, I'm still riding my bike and, you know, working out because I'm like, I'm 53 these days. And I'm like, listen, you know, I'm looking at JLo and I'm looking at these other ladies and I'm thinking, you know, uh, you know, if they still got it and I haven't been nipped and tucked yet. So I'm just trying to hold it together, you know, and I'm still on that edge where I'm like trying not to go there, Good you know? You. Yeah. And I'm not saying anything against, you know, the nipping and the tucking, but I've got a lot of my girlfriends that are all doing it and they're all doing the Botox and, you know, you're looking everywhere and, and, and you know, you're looking on TV and, and I'm not even going to say about how many male musicians that we can talk about in yep. bands right now, but exactly. you can tell that they've already had a, a lid lift, you know, a lid lift today is just like, almost like blowing your nose, you know, getting it's your nails done. So common. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I'm just trying to see what I can hold together, you know. Good for you. Yeah, I recently yeah. got a hula hoop and I, I'm uh, we're kind of coming off a tough winter. So just looking forward to getting more active. Yeah, riding the bike, going Can't swimming. Wait to go swimming. Yeah, that's top of the list. Yes. Yeah. So I just saw that you girls got to watch an interview with uh, Dave from uh, Foo Fighters. <sighs> Is that his mother? Yeah, his mom wrote a book um, about a year ago, and it was about the influence of mothers on their children who have become rock stars. So Canadian Music Week had just uh, was in full swing, and... Uh -huh. Um, originally I did not have the required pass to get myself a ticket, but as you know, Rita, that does not hold us back, does it? No, it does not. And you know what? Half of the ride of the excitement of any concert is being able to pull it off without knowing anybody. 
Yeah. Hell yeah. 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 And so even though Lynx and I had been mentors at Canadian uh, Canadian Music Week, the my, that mm-hmm. that badge still didn't allow me to purchase a ticket. So I planned and I plotted for a few days and I talked to a few people and uh, sure enough, I ended up getting a ticket. And then I arrived just casually where the doors were to open about an hour early. And I'm like you, Rita, I do a lot of things alone. And a lot of times it's easier to get away with things or it's easier to get what you want when you're kind of flying solo. Yeah. A little bit more. True. Yeah. True. And I'm not going to say that you don't have love for your friend. Totally. Okay. But okay. My best friend, one of my best friends, Julie, like I, like I love her to death. And every time I'm like, we try to get some good footage on stuff. She's cut my face out of photos that would have been <laughs> taken with rock stars. And I'm like, listen, you drunk ass. I told you not to get that second drink, you know, and, and you got to love, but you know, I've missed so moments like just, okay. Two weeks ago, Jay Leno was in town. Okay. And when I lived in Los Angeles, I used to um, hike up along Mulholland and Woodrow Wilson up that way to Outpost. And he lives off that way. And he used to pass me constantly, you know, in his, you know, one of many thousands of cars that he has. Mm-hmm. So when he came to Omaha, Nebraska, it was one of the few times I actually, you know, took off to see a comedian ever. Right. Because, I mean, I love comedians, but it's not like a concert. And I uh, went down to see him and I told my girlfriend, I said, I, uh, I said, I got to get this picture. So I actually went around and we chased him, uh, went around. And just as we pulled out, he was just pulling out of his town, uh, town car. I jumped out of the car, ran about 100 feet, got to his window, and I got to have like this 20 second conversation with him about seeing him all the time, which he smiled. And just as I took my phone out to take the picture of the selfie of us, a police officer pushed my hand back and smeared my picture. Aww. And I was just like, I know. Just a bummer. So you can't get them all, but you know, but you sure it can was just that try. moment, the timing it, you know, but it was like, I'll be darned. Right. Yeah. So I didn't get my chance to get my photo and I'm sitting in the car and I'm about ready to cry. Right. So it was great. So we're, we're going down the street and I'm thinking, Hmm, should we go to a hotel that maybe I think he's going to be possibly staying at? And then I'm thinking, hmm, you know, I think my sleep's more important to me. Like, what are we really going to do with Jay Leno? But, you know, whatever. <laughs> so uh, we're going down the street, and I look over, and in the car, who's next to me at the light? But Jay Leno, right? Nice. In the town car. So what do I do? I come out the window, and I unleash my girls on him, okay? Out the window. Because I figure, <laughs> guess what, man? If I didn't get my picture... You're going to see my tits because you've been with the same woman for 49 fucking years. You come to Omaha, Nebraska, you're going to see Rita Ray Rocks' tits. Yay! <laughs> so I left him with a postcard, of, and I hope he got a picture of that because I know the limo driver definitely saw it. No accidents happen, though. Yeah. Nobody crashed. So, there you have it. I want that on a bumper sticker. If you're coming to Omaha... <laughs> You're going to see Rita Ray Rocks' tits. <laughs> That's amazing. That's one thing that I really loved about your book as well is the way that you talk about your sexual your sexuality and your body. And um, it was such a celebration because as we know, um, people try to 
bring women down in that sense, not just other women, but men as well and society. And so let's talk a little bit about that, I guess, double standard in the music industry. Um, in the book, you talk about that double, that double standard where people would tell you that rock stars are using you and you would make it clear that it was the other way around or at least equal footing. Well, in my opinion, like, okay, from like my first love, okay, of rock stars, like I'm going to say my first like obsession was like Scott Baio from Chachi from Happy Days, mm-hmm. you know, to loving um, like Billy Squire. Okay, we'll talk about Billy Squire. So we all know what happened with Billy Squire. You know, there was like this point where like for a while, I'm going to say being a young teenager, like I actually going to say, like I fantasized, like, you know, that there was going to be this day that he was going to remember me. And, you know, like he was going to be like, oh, my God, that's that girl. We share this moment. And, you know, and then when you see that and then they're like just on stage and then you miss that moment and you were backstage and maybe he looked past you and just looked right at you. And maybe he passed you and talked to some other girl and walked off. You know, it's like it hits you hard. So the one thing that I'm going to say is, is that the only thing I ever did wrong was allow myself to get my feelings hurt. Okay. Because when you go into something like this, and even in that time when people were so promiscuous and, you know, rolling out of the seventies of the free love and, you know, the eighties, it was just like, everybody was doing everybody. And that was before like all the STDs were really starting to really roll out. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and and then then the, the AIDS thing just, you know, Pounded, So it wasn't, like, hip to be, like, multisexual with all these people, you know. But I'm going to say that, um, you know, sometimes, like, you know, you'd meet somebody. And, and like, with the, with the case of Daily Roth, like, you know, when I stood there and I was underneath him and I'm front row and I'm looking up at him and I'm watching him sweat and I'm seeing that hairy chest and the way, you know, gyrating throw himself around. I mean, I was physically, like, drawn to him. And it's kind of like live porn to me. It's kind of like, oh, my gosh, like, I want to take that to the next level, you know, and maybe it's a fantasy. I don't know. But it wasn't like that was my whole entire life goal. But, you know, I didn't make it happen. And, you know, if I thought about it enough, I mean, you can call me a daydreamer, but basically I was kind of like kind of plotting things out and kind of figuring out in a slow way of how was I going to make that happen. And in the sense that, you know, when they come to town, they're here for only a few hours, you know. So when I went to Los Angeles, I, you know, I was there for three weeks, you know, and, and it was just kind of like divine intervention. And I'm going to say that I actually even ran into him and that everything even happened the way that he did, because it was like a fairy tale, you know, from, you know, everything that happened that night where I'm sitting there, you know, watching from, I didn't even believe it was really him, you know, to the point that, that if there was anybody that I could have wished to, you know, be hand in hand with walking out of a bar, right. And going home with, it was him you know, at that time, you know, and it's kind of funny because like, I just recently saw like Mark Tree. Okay. Who's another like friend of mine that I've known that was like on and off for years. And he was at that time, um, you know, he had been in rat and also was going to be possibly had auditioned for the replacement for Randy Rhodes for Ozzy. And he was one of the first people I met when I was 16 out there among with Izzy as well that day on the uh, sunset or Santa Monica strip in front of the Tribidor. You know, these guys were all unknown at that time, even Tammy, you know, from Faster Pussycat. Like, they were all roaming around nobodies, you know, and even Guns N' Roses. You know, like I said, Izzy was, it was one of the first people I met. 
And to know that, like, I, I made a joke to Mark Trink because I just saw him recently, like, saying that he was explaining to his guitar player about how far back we, me and him go. And I said to his guitar player, I said, you know, if I probably would have went home with Mark Trink that night instead of Dave Lee Roth, I said, me and Mark would probably still be married today to this wow. day. You know, because we had had, like, an on and off again uh, few relationships, kind of like a misconnection, you know, that I would say. You know, there's a few that you want to call. But we always... To this day, still, you know, come in contact. And even after, like, you know, I saw his show here recently, like, he sent me a really nice text just saying, hey, you know, it's just great to know that all friends, that time can go by and that, you know, true, you know, just about being a true friend and just knowing that, you know, regardless of any situation, that we're just a bond. That's so important. So there are some yeah. people that I can say that you do have true friendships with. And then there's some people that, you know, like you're going to say we're one night stands or maybe two night tour stands or, you know, maybe a reconnection. I mean, I've had a guy, uh, one, another funny story I'll tell you is when I was waiting tables, I was waiting on, uh, down at the Hilton downtown in Omaha and they were getting ready to dedicate a, a brand new huge auditorium called the quest center. And they had brought in grand funk railroad for the, a free concert for all the investors and people that worked on it and everything. And um, so they were staying at the hotel that I was working at, and they actually came in and sat at my station. So now Bruce Kulik, who is the guitar player, and he also played in Kiss, and he also played in Michael Bolton, okay, plays for uh, Grand Funk Railroad to this day. So I remember I walk up to the table, and I wait in the table, and he looks at me, and I'm looking at him, and he says to me, do I know you? <laughs> and I looked back at him and I said, did you used to have long hair? And he said, yeah. And I said, no. And then I walked away. Right? <laughs> but I knew exactly who he was. And then he came back and he's like, I come back to the table, like brought his drinks. And he's like, wait a minute. I know I know you. <laughs> and I'm always like, yeah, I said, I know. And he's going, I remember you from, because I've got this little scar spot in my eye, kind of like a freckle in the white of my eye. And so he's like, I know you from that scar. And I wouldn't just say that, like, yeah, and I know you too. And then he was like going, so what are you doing later? And I'm sure that when I walked away, uh, he's probably going on to the band about me. And I, I was just probably laughing because I'm wondering what, you know, he could have said, right? Because I don't know how good his memory is against mine, right? And it was funny because the table that I was also waiting on that was next to the band's table they were really interested in, they wanted to know my story. And I just didn't want to go there because they were over there. But it was kind of funny because he invited me to the show. And I was like, dude, I'm working. I would really love to go. And then he wanted to be like to reconnect. And I'm like, that would be really nice. I said, but I don't think that that's really going to happen, you know. Mm -hmm. It so. really is like an interesting thing how people put like a judgment on other people for owning their life and doing what they want to do. And like you said, like getting backstage and, uh, you know, figuring out how am I going to, how am I going to do this? Like what strategic move am I going to do? Like, and then when you get there and you've made it and you have that feeling in your heart and in your stomach, like I fucking did it. Yeah. How are you not exactly. powerful? Like, how are you not in charge? Like, that to me is like having an orgasm. Like it is such a rush. Like I just snuck into the Peter Buffett concert like a couple weeks ago, which was sold out, you know, here at the college. And that was a really big deal because that's the son of Warren Buffett. And um, 
you know, the UNO is not a real big college. So, you know, I was uh, basically, I just got dressed up like I belonged there. And it was awesome, you know, because I just walked up and everything was roped off. And I just said to the lady, I am really sorry, but I am so late. And I just need to get in as discreetly as possible without drawing attention to myself. Okay. <laughs> and she just walked me right in. And then we had a good laugh about it because, um, you know, I stood in the back and as people were leaving, um, I saw, you know, um, some of the big wigs, uh, the Buffets and then the CEOs for Berkshire Hathaway. And then Sarah Blakely was there, the owner of Spanx, who I absolutely love her. And so um, once people were leaving, I just, you know, my right timing is I just went right up there, rushed it. And uh, they turned around and some of the people recognized me and they're like, Rita, what are you doing here? And I, the first thing I said was, Y'all need to get better security around here, right? <laughs> and then everybody busted up laughing, and then I just went around with my phone and started taking some selfies. And then what was really great is I had a great opportunity to speak to Sarah Blakely, who I just absolutely love, okay? Because she is like the rock star of, you know, spandex, thanks. And, you know, she's just such a great creator, and just, a, you know, she's an ex-comedian, and just a great personality to know and to, to talk with, mm. you know, just a great role model. So I, you know, got my fangirling on with Sarah Blakely and, you know, got to use that experience. And, I, you know, literally, like when I was standing out in my car, I was in my car sitting there for five minutes just by myself breathing, thinking, you can do this, okay? But, you know, you got to take the chance, too, of getting thrown out of someplace, you know, which has happened yes. as well, which isn't always, you know, always fun. You know, it's fun when they're cute, right? Yeah. But when they're not, it's, you know, kind of humiliating. Well, you can't, you know, win every time, but exactly you got to try or else you'll never know. Exactly. Do you have any favorite memories, backstage memories or a favorite musician that you ever met? Like, is there a moment that you, if you could go back in time and like relive one moment, do you have a specific one that you would want to go back to? I would say yes. I would probably say Steven Tyler. Like, I would have wished that I probably would have had been intimate with him. You know, like, I really liked him, but we just talked. We were so high and partying. Like, we just talked and talked and talked. And, you know, it was just like a big party kind of atmosphere that I wish that I would have sometimes, you know, not that I wanted to sleep with everybody. And that was not my goal. You know what I mean? My goal was is that I was really infatuated with the artist. You know, the lyricist, the performer, you know, all of it. So it was the whole package. And, you know, sometimes there were guys that, you know, that were really just cool and sexy and, you know, that you kind of had a chemistry with. And then there were guys that, you know, you just wanted to meet and hang out and have a drink with, you know, that you didn't really want to take it to another level. But sometimes you didn't want to act too aggressive because, you know, you don't want to be turned down. But then again, it's kind of like a, a game of the bachelor and fast forward because you've got like so much time before they go on their bus and they go to the next city or, you know, back in the day, they used to kind of stay over a lot more in the hotel, Totally. but so much, you know, due to security reasons, they're always on the move now, which makes it harder for them to really rest. And I think it's harder on them physically, Mm -hmm. but they keep it moving, you know? My God, what you said about it being like, the bachelor but fast forward that's brilliant 
I've never thought of it that way, but it's so true. You only have a certain amount of time to make this kind of impression. And like you said, it could last one night, two nights, a lifetime, a friendship, or that's it. And you really cover the whole thing. The friend, the lover, the one night stand, the two night stand, and then the forever friend. And I think that's what makes this whole culture. And that's why we love this podcast is, is exploring this whole world. Yeah, and I love what you girls do because I follow you and, you know, you're just so informational. You're like a couple rock historians on all the groupies. And I just didn't realize that there were so many of us out there. Like, I know, you know, of the more famous books that are out there. And I'm really glad to be part of, you know, to know that my book has gotten out there and has made it to another country. And that when I get fan mail, I love it. You know, I love to hear people relate. And I love because nowadays, you know, the whole concept of the meet and greet is just so uncool. I just feel like shuffled cattle sometimes through some of the events. And they're so impersonal. And I and the fact that they have to they're being paid to have to be nice to all of us. I mean, I'd rather have them be like a total jerk for a minute and be their total personality and be in the mood that they're in and the real mood than have to be this phony, you know, pitchy, perfect. Let us take this picture. Let me shake your hand for, you know, $200 a pop, you know, attitude, yeah, you know, it's a really and strange culture now VIP is bought these days. Yeah. It's not earned yet. And, you know, and when I think back about it now, I'm thinking like I missed my calling. Like I should have just done my own meet and greet kind of thing. And, you know, done my own journey with this, you know, of like, I just, you know, when I go down to the auditorium, I'm thinking like, they should be giving me a job down at Omaha. I should be doing them. They're hosting their meet and greet. I'd be fantastic. Right. Because not only do I know the whole history of Omaha, but you know, of the bands that have come through here and, you know, but it would just be such a great job when you see these hosts. And I think like, I see what they do, but some of them are so just disconnected and they're not really you know they don't I think really care so much about the fan you know as them just you know getting you through the motions of the meet and greet absolutely yeah you know it's very impersonal and you know it's not like before where the band I could get in the dressing room like even last night when I had all access here I'm hanging out with you know the dressing room you know, and outside the dressing room, you know, and I miss that. I mean, that doesn't happen now. Like, unless you're married to the guy in the band or you're the tour manager or you're the wardrobe girl, you're not getting that opportunity. And, you know, basically, they don't even let, like, radio personalities back there anymore. Like, backstage was really run by um, DJs and radio personalities kind of controlled of contest winners and, you know, of who got backstage. And basically, that was the only people that were backstage were the people that spun their records. You know, now it's just become such a production of just, you know, the dollar. And I understand that, that everybody wants to get paid and, you know, they want to, you know, get that pre-merchandise and, you know, sell everything. They want to get you every last dollar, Mm -hmm. you know. But I just think that some of the experiences are better than others. But, um, you know. they take a lot of the fun out of it. They do, you know. I think that they should uh, really step it up in some of those areas. Yeah, I think um, if you want that genuine rock and roll experience now, you can't really look to the huge venues. You have to go to your local 
um, place in the city where where the bands who who don't have locks on the backstage doors are, and then they are more accessible. Um, it's a little bit harder though, and I'm feeling this too as I'm getting older and I'm in you know a long term and a committed relationship. I don't want to be going out every night and you know like really hanging out with rock stars anymore. But I really think for that younger generation, um, meeting the bands before they get huge too, and although it is harder for bands to get huge these days um that's the way to go is going to your place in toronto like the horseshoe and um all of right. those places and catching those those bands it's when also a lot of fun to like be on that chat. journey with them yeah 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 oh girls i totally still go out and support live music here in omaha i mean i have uh you know the couple rock holes that i go to and if there's something out there, you know, I'll go just for, you know, I, I mean, I try not to go out real late, but like there's my little window, like between 10 and 12, that sometimes I'll go and catch an act, you know, just to be supportive, mm-hmm. you know, because I just love live music and all types of live music as well. You know, I mean, I try not to go out every weekend, but, you know, I'm trying to also do, uh, we've been doing a lot of filming. So, you know, we're taking different avenues of getting some different footage, you know, because I'm working on some other things. So, but I mean, I love it. I mean, I just went to a new hole and it was weird because this new stage of, it was like this room with like this raised stage where it's kind of like you expect it to be like a puppet show because the stage is kind of at this weird high um, level. And then it had like this room where the mixer board is like right in the back. And it was just like this kind of like crushed small room where everybody just stood and it was kind of different for me because I've never been to a venue like that. It was kind of claustrophobic, but then the way I kind of watched this younger um, younger people groove because it was different music. It was very um, uh, keyboards and synthesized, and it was just two people. But it was it was great. But it was kind of different from what I'm used to. But I'm always out for new experiences, and I just love different genres, and I love seeing people with their new styles and how they rock and how they dance and how people enjoy themselves. I love that. It all adds inspiring. It's making me want to get out more and do that. Lynx is a little bit better than I am with that. But there was a band that I wanted to see two days ago. And around six o'clock, I was like, I'm tired. So I really need to, I I need to pursue this more. I'm going to. The summer's coming. The summer's coming. In the summer a lot. Okay. Yeah. We'll make it a point. It's hard to catch everything. You know, like last night, there was um, River Riot, and it was like Hailstorm, and In This Moment, and some other bands, Seven Dust. But, you know, that was like the festival thing, and I'm that's just kind of too much for me. And last time I went to the festival, I got ditched by my teenage son, and I was there by myself, and Aww. there wasn't enough trees. And, you know, it's too hot. And it's just, you know, sometimes you just can't take it. You know, it's a, a lot I'm actually me, working Hailstorm that... on Monday. Gonna see oh, them. no way. Yeah. I, I'm so excited to see them. They're going to be opening, I think, for Alice Cooper. Nice. So I'm going to try to catch that uh, coming up. What's it like having a teenage son who's into rock and roll? Um, I don't think he's really into rock and roll. He, um, I took him to that rock fest years ago. My son actually plays both my kids. I have a stepson and my son. One plays upright bass. Um, he plays since school, really through school and hopefully he'll finish through high school. And then my other son's a singer. So he sings acapella and he's been singing in choir since, um, God, fourth grade. 
So he got to audition for American Idol about two years ago. We didn't make it last year. They told him to come back, but he's not a he's not playing an instrument. He has uh, two guitars, however, they never get played. And then my other son has got three guitars that are not getting played. So it is a little heartbreaking for me. Mm-hmm. Well, there's still time to pick up that guitar. Never too late. Right. Well, you know, it's their passion, and I just try to guide them, you know, and if not, um, I'll just keep them for me. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, a couple of them are signed, so. How did they feel about their mama's rock and roll past? You know, I don't really know. Um, Like, when they were younger, I remember my one son picked up the book, and he was like, Mom, what is one bad girl? And I'm like, not bad (laughs) isn't bad doing wrong, but bad isn't good. You know, like how some people say things are sick, but they're not really sick. You know, just a, a play on words. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to just say with nowadays of um, what is the new norm, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, they can go in there and read, but, you know, I'm going to say that today's day and age is just what it is, you know? And it's not, it is what it is. I feel like the older they get, the more excited and uh, impressed they'll be with uh, everything that you've accomplished. Well, I think that personally, they're going to think about what their mother did for them as, you know, her mom, as a mom being there for them. But I will tell you a great story um, real quick. It was uh, three years ago and four years ago, Obama was in presidency and it was really cold and um, they were given tickets down. It was a couple blocks from our house to a new arena that was built. So we went and stood in line in the cold for these tickets, and they didn't really quite understand that. And so then the day of the, when the president came, you know, I took them both out of school, and people laughed at me. And um, I'm like, listen, you know, my kids are both going to go. I'm taking them out of school. And then I told, made them both wear suits, and they were like, one of them didn't want to wear a suit. And I told them, listen, if you don't wear a suit, you got to represent. <laughs> you know, I said, if you don't wear a suit, I'm going to take you back to school. But I'll tell you what, um, you're going to meet the president today. And both of them looked at me, and they thought I was crazy. And so when we went down there, we waited in line for four hours outside, and then another uh, three hours once we got inside, you know, for the president to show up. And when he did, it was kind of like, first when we got to one area, nobody would let us anywhere around him. And then I found the spot, and I just kind of knew it. And I spent, like, the next two hours slowly moving this railing up. And I finally got caught, right? Because uh, the guy came and yelled at me, and um, I told him, listen, I'm really sorry, but my hand puts my son puts his hand out. He won't be able to shake the president's hand. Well, anyway, he came out, and according to different, where your, your color of your ticket is where you uh, were able to stand. Like if you were students, you had certain seats. If you were uh, Omaha A-listers, you were on the side with private seats, you know. And we had like the peasant seats, so we were kind of like just in standing room. So it was a great moment because after President Obama got done um, speaking, he was walking out, and we were in that front row on the side, and I just started screaming, President Obama, President Obama. I said, please come over here and meet my boys. And um, he turned around, and he looked right at me. And instead of coming to me, he walked over, and he went to the end, and he started shaking hands down. About 10 people down came to us, went two down. But um, 
it was a great moment because both my boys got to shake the president's hand. And then I just went in and stepped up on the railing and went in for the bear hug because a, I was so overwhelmed with just joy of uh, to just bring this moment to my kids to teach them that a, you know, that anybody can be president and that he's coming to town and that your mom may be crazy, but guess what? You just shook the president's hand and nobody at your school is going to be able to say that. All right. That and incredible. it was kind of funny because um, it was just a great moment. But I did get screamed at for touching the president by um, the whatever it is, his staff. And they did come out and take a photo of me. But before this <laughs> moment happened, I saw a woman that was sitting not far from me. And I told her I would pay her $100 that if the president came this way to take some photos for us. And she actually got those photos. So if you look up on my Instagram page, you can catch that photo. But I also got photos of my kids. And then I went back and searched the Internet for that day of the newspapers and other people's postings. And I actually found us in the background of other people's photos. That's so um, amazing. Which was also cool. And I called the, um, the television station, and one of the guys – was able to, um, I told, I sent him a couple pictures of us and he was able to pinpoint us and send up some stuff that they shot as well to get those photos for my kids. Wow. So it was funny because when my son wanted to take his pictures, to uh, his phone to school the next day, I got an email from his teacher telling me, me not to send his phone to school because, um, you know, it wasn't approved. And, you know, if he had something to share to please, you know, send it in the email. So I sent her those pictures from the president of him shaking his hand. Right. So then the next day she sent me an email back going, wow, I didn't realize it was that. Right. <laughs> and, you know, because he had gotten in trouble being kind of excited and she didn't really let him, you know, speak or show him what he wanted to show her. Not that that would have, you know, made the exception to the rule, but it was just a really huge moment for him. I think that's so wonderful that you taught them. I think it was a powerful lesson in a way, too. And when it was like going after what you want. Perseverance. Perseverance. I love how you got them in the suits and that you kind of bent the rules a little bit in a really kind of harmless way to get what you want. And I think it made for a couple of really genuine and human moments with someone who's so larger than life. So good for you. Yeah, it was just, for me, it was, that was my mom creepy moment for them of kind of them understanding what it is that I do, okay, that I can capable of doing, and that regardless of what they may have read or what somebody might say to them or whatever it could be, whatever, that this is what they witnessed their mother doing and how she did it. And that, hello, was the president, okay? And it doesn't get much huger than that, than besides the Pope, okay, or Warren Buffett, <laughs> or Bill Gates, or, you know, many of the other people that I have come across. And I was just laughing the other day because the other day when I was on the Berkshire Hathaway floor and we were doing some filming on the convention center, I kept looking over at this guy and I passed this guy like three times smiling and made kind eye contact with him a couple of times in passing where um, my camera girl and editor and little director said to me, uh, do we know him? And I said, no, but he kind of looks like Anderson Cooper. And then it came to me that that was Tim Cook, the Tim Cook, uh, co-founder of Apple. And here I was past him three times smiling at him, realizing that I should have been tackling him for a photo or uh, begging for 
a job or something, right, or anything, because he's just so amazing. And I didn't realize I, you know, was having a, a myth, just a, you know, a blank moment. And I, I knew that I knew him. I just couldn't figure out how I knew him, right? Famous people are everywhere. Just keep your eyes I open. I know. I know, aren't they? And he was here for like three days. I find out afterwards, like I get all the info on it. And I'm like, he was here for three days and I missed it. He was at, you know, and uh, like when Zuckerberg was here, he can't, you know, I just missed him by a couple minutes. I actually got to see him, but I didn't get a chance to get a photo, which I was really bummed about because I'm, I'm that person. I like to get my photo with famous people. And it's kind of like, you know, having the old autograph book, you know, as a child and, you know, seeing that you know, in the black and white movies to, you know, the now day picture. Yeah. You, you have a lot of great ones up on your website. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, it, um, yeah, it sounds like sort of famous people are kind of in your orbit a lot. And we're really looking forward to your next, uh, writing journey. And that's going to be telling us what happened, you know, after you moved to LA and you were hanging out with a lot of actors and in, in Hollywood and things like that. Um, have you begun that project yet? Or when can we expect something like that to come out? Because we're kind of dying to hear the next the next stage. Or would you even consider making that into like a podcast series or something along those lines? Well, we're working on that right now. And unfortunately, I had an interview with HBO last year, and I was really, really excited and probably maybe um, a little too overexcited because it didn't go as well as I wanted. They didn't, I was hoping to sell my series to them of stories, and I just thought it would make for a good series, but they didn't, exact words was they didn't want to quite put their fingerprint, they told me, on my story. So, but some of the people that I've already written my stories about um, are Prince, um, Eddie Murphy, I've written about Millie Vanilli, I've also written about Charlie Sheen, um, I also have, I'm going to have to think, um, you know, my other relationship with um, Rat, one of the members from Rat that went on. I, I mean, I've got to I cannot wait to read this. I cannot wait. And it's too so, bad that because it's coming from the woman's perspective that the people at HBO or, or on Netflix, like they're happy to put out something like The Dirt when it's coming from the male perspective. But we've yet to see something, especially in the rock and roll world, that is coming from the female perspective. And it's about time that this happens. It's so yeah. frustrating. Your story it, and these stories need to be told from the woman's perspective. And I believe that because what I want to tell you when you ask me um, about some of the stories is like not everything is in my book. There's been a lot that's been edited out. Not everything always went my way, you know, but nobody wants to read about how horrible somebody treated you, you know. And I had a couple of situations where I talked about being uh, thrown out by security, okay, by somebody uh, just not remembering me you know, and pretending like they didn't know me or they just didn't care or they were too high or they were too drunk, you know, where you just didn't always have that op open invitation, you know, but it's kind of funny because they just actually, uh, I got a screenshot of an interview um, that uh, I posted on my page about somebody that mistakenly put me in uh, my photo with Tommy Lee in reference to an article about uh, Netflix and the dirt. Yes. And yeah, one of that. my predictions was, one of my predictions was that there might be some girls that might be coming out of the dirt now um, 
to maybe tell their story that what went with Motley Crue didn't go so well. Because I uh, did expose one of my stories about how rude this one particular roadie from Motley Crue was. And I had an incident with him where I had a sexual episode with him. And he was kind of um, not very nice, you know. And at that time, I think I was just really desperate. And why I did that at a point was just really a weak point. Because what went... I thought was going to be easy ride went wrong. Okay. And I'm not going to say that it wasn't mutual, but it wasn't really what I had planned on. Yeah. So, and you know, there's even a story about rape that I can write about, which I don't really want to tell that story right now, you know, but what you would consider, you know, what you're just because you're in a short skirt and you're flying around didn't mean that I was back there for anybody to have their, you know, to be able to be violated or have their hands on. And sometimes people were verbally rude too, you know, not everything that was said to you was always nice. And maybe because somebody hit on you and you rejected them and you were trying to go for another band member, somebody might be drinking and say something really profound or rude about you or to you, or like you might have herpes or something like that, or, you know, just derogatory, just to be a jerk. Or you like know? when they gave you when they had the color coded passes and the exactly. the like colors the meant something else in the the mm-hmm. quiet riot thing the episode yeah. with that tour manager that was another you know because those two episodes that I did share in my book were very probably about the two worst situations that I think that I got myself into okay because I had pretty much mastered all that but I was so desperate because I thought at that time that I was in love with Carlos and I thought that that might really go somewhere which I really realized that it was going nowhere but just the fact that this guy led me to believe that it was but it was just a joke back on me you know and that he just used me for his own sexual gratification you know but to me it was like whatever it took you know and I thought my god I drove this far and I'm gonna get blacklisted from the show Right. Yeah. And trust me, that has happened to girls that I know. And one of them, I believe it happened to, she went all the way to Live Aid. Okay. And it was, um, and you know, she didn't get in. And that was a long journey. And I think a lot of people have a lot of opinions on what women would do or wouldn't do to get where they wanted to be, whether it was, you know, on the side of the stage or with their rock star. But I think what the most important thing is, is to do is to talk to the women who were actually there and who actually had those experiences, good and bad. And when, um, you know, you're ready to talk about them and when other people are ready to talk about them, like we do want to hear it. And the story of the rock star and the backstage escapade have changed uh, since Me Too or we're looking at them differently and evaluating them a little bit differently now but these stories are all really important yeah and you know you don't even know like even today when you do a meet and greet and something and you don't even know if you can put your arm around somebody or you know touch them or whatever you know it's kind of like you don't know what's appropriate or what's not some days and you know it's it's hard you know it's important to keep having these conversations and growing and making sure again, that women's stories are heard and like truly. Yes. Yeah. And I would love my story to be heard. And so I'm writing it right now. I'm just kind of working on whether I want to go a a podcast route. You know, I'm doing my background, um, doing some research right now and, and we're in editing process of doing some, um, projects. So the thing is, I'm just trying to shop my project right now and we're going to see where it goes. So I've already had one meeting and I'm just, you know, I've been turned down, but it doesn't mean that there's six doors that might not open up. You know, they were just, I was really lucky to get that interview 
And, you know, and I figured if I got that one, then it just means that maybe it's meant for something else on a, on a lower level of maybe Netflix, you know, is not as big as HBO or maybe it's Hulu or, you know, you've got Apple TV coming out right now and also Rolling Stone, who I've uh, sent multiple emails trying to get in contact with them. I've got no response from them whatsoever. But they're talking about now doing video shorts and programming and getting more into rock stories, and which would be a really his- missed opportunity for them to pass on this project with me, because Absolutely. I think that that would be yeah. a really a, a great a great story for them. But we'll just see. You know, I keep reaching out to Gus Werner, and I'm just not getting any response back. So, and in the meantime, when you're reaching out to everyone else, just keep doing your own thing. Keep putting things out oh, independently and on your own, and we're gonna keep paying attention. And we can't wait for what you have coming up in the future because we love your joy of life. We we love your genuine love and passion for music, and I think that there's lots more to come from you. Well, I hope so. God willing. That's right. <laughs> We'll have to continue yeah, the conversation as well. Yeah, i got some great concerts well. that come up this summer that I'm really excited about. And one of them is finally getting to see Ringo Starr. Oh, I've cool. seen Paul McCartney, but on my bucket list of seeing the two remaining Beatles will then be, be complete. So looking forward to that and looking forward to Slash, looking forward to a few things. And I'm, you know, looking forward to, you know, maybe one day we're going to meet girls because, I mean, I would have loved to, I mean, it didn't work out about the Pamela DeBar thing, but she's one of my huge idols it's okay. I'm with the band. I mean, that's one of my favorite books and she's really, you know, a great living legend. And when you talk about things getting made, I feel bad because I feel like the movie almost famous kind of stole her character story and she got no credit for it, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, so I'm just going to keep my fingers crossed and I'm just going to go out there and tell my story and keep writing my stories and keep creating stories and new chapters. You know, I still got girls. I still got a list, right? (laughs) We believe that with all of our hearts. And you know what? We are going to meet because Lynx and I definitely have it in our minds that every single woman that we have chatted with and you are where you are, we're in Toronto. We are going to be bringing our portable mics. We're going to be bringing video gear and we're going to keep doing some traveling. And we want to meet every single person in person because there's still so much to talk about. Right. And we're all doing so much that there's we didn't even get to half of the things that we could have asked you. But there's more. Like, there's so much more where this came from. So let's keep in touch. Let's keep doing this. We'll meet you in person. And Miss P is going to have her doll con where she brings all Uh of the ladies together once a year. So as long as, uh, yeah, it was a smashing success this year. And I think she wants to continue having it in Vegas. So it'll be in Vegas next year. True. And I just want to shout out to you that maybe we can meet halfway sometime because I know that I'm going to go see Aerosmith in Minneapolis. And I know that I'm going to see Lenny Kravitz in Minneapolis. Yeah, let's so go to a gig together. There. Yeah, definitely. Or we definitely have to plan that because I would love to capture it all on film. You know, meet us all hanging out. So amazing. that would be great. From the bottom of our hearts, when we say let's do this, we, we mean let's do this. So oh, I'm totally game, girls. We're going to have a rock star of a time, yeah. right? Yeah, we are. And I would love to record the whole thing. So, Rita, tell, well, thank our you listeners, for having me. tell our listeners where they can find your book, where they can find you on social media, your website. Give us all the details. Okay, well, first of all, I'm on onceuponarockstar.com. Um, you can look up my um, page at Rita Ray Rocks on Instagram. 
I'm also on Rita Ray Rocks on Twitter and Facebook. I have Off Her Rocker, which is kind of my other page for like my mini shorts that I'm doing. And that's on Twitter and also on Facebook. And then that's really about it. You can find my book on Amazon, Kindle. It's eBay. so good. Everyone should really should really go and read it and yeah. get a sense of you and then of things to come. Did we miss anything? Yeah. Is there anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up? No, I just want to say that I'm so proud to finally talk to you girls. And I just love your love for music. And I love following you girls on Instagram and seeing that, you know, keeping it real. Awesome. Right back at you. We're true fans and we can't wait to continue this friendship um, further. And thank you so much for chatting with us. Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Radolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Eco meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.